What the fuck is up, people? This is Ron Sense. This is Ron. All right, I'm coming back. We're talking, I guess we're going to kind of talk sports across the board, including esports. I mean, as I'm recording this, I'm actually watching um, Shroud's uh, co stream of the Valorant, uh, Valorant Champions uh, tournament in Berlin. Um, currently it's vivo keyed uh out of brazil versus uh ascend out of europe uh so but we're gonna start with some real sports right we're gonna talk some real sports news uh you know i think two of the biggest stories this week uh have been lincoln riley leaving oklahoma for usc and brian kelly leaving notre dame for lsu uh and my feelings on these two things are very different, and, and perhaps it seems a little inconsistent or odd, but perhaps my, my explanation would be a little better here. But so uh, for the Lincoln-Riley deal, I, I think it's the dumbest thing. I, I really do. I, I don't see where, like, I, I just don't see how USC in any way makes sense for Lincoln-Riley. Uh, I mean, I get that, like, you know, since I had first thought about it, like the, the more of the details of the contract have come out that have, uh, suggested, uh, I, I forget exactly how much money he's getting, but it, it, it is a crazy deal. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not, let's see, Lincoln Riley contract. Um, so it's rumored. To be 110 million USC buying both his homes in Norman for 500k over asking, so basically a one million dollar uh, bonus there. Buying a six million dollar home in LA for him, so I guess that's probably like a one bedroom uh, studio apartment. Uh, unlimited use of pri- the private jet 24/7 for family. So obviously that is. Uh, a deal that I think any of us would look at and be like, yeah, I would take that. I, the The first thing I think, though, is I I find it hard to believe that Oklahoma couldn't give a similar deal, right? So I, I do think that there's a little bit of like this, well, you got to take that deal, right? Well, I, I think you could get that deal uh, essentially with Oklahoma. I, I don't see any particular reason to assume that somehow Oklahoma couldn't match that if they wanted to. Um, so... So let's let's operate under that assumption, okay? Cuz obviously like if if the if it was the if something like Oklahoma said they wouldn't match it or like they wouldn't even come close because this is the thing that I I often find that's ridiculous with some of these contracts um for like professional athletes and whatnot is like what's what's the actual difference in the money at a certain point right like if if let's say usc offered 90 mil or uh you know usc offered 110 and oklahoma offers 90 what's actually the difference right and there's there's a certain crowd who will say well the difference is 20 million dollars but um my my retort to that well for starters right is is obviously that it's actually really like 10 million after taxes um but it's it's also that what is that 20 million dollars actually buying you like once you have a 90 million dollar contract what exactly is like your financial deficit such that you actually need the 20 million more dollars 
and 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 again like i understand this is someone that like is you know whatever pro capitalism get your money but but what i want to say though is because is that 20 million dollars actually worth it right because are you actually getting a job that's better uh are you getting are you getting a better bot because once you're at that money level i think that there's a lot of things that are more important than money right in terms of do you like so for example usc has been a disaster of a program it's had like eight coaches in the last 10 years or something like that so uh and and it has a fan base or a following that assumes usc is should be good every year despite no evidence that usc usc should be good every year um you so i think that you know, in like with the recent like um, you know pay to play scandal with USC and whatnot, I I don't see how you can actually feel like the athletic director at USC is gonna be a good boss to have, right? So compared to Oklahoma, where they give Lincoln Riley a chance at a young age, they take him in at, after the retirement of Bob Stoops, and uh, really give him his opportunity to shine. They have up to this point clearly given him, it seems, everything he would need to succeed. Um, he was handed a, a team that had a lot of talent around it to begin with, and he has had the the fortune of um, good quarterback transfers coming through. Because you can say like, oh, you know, that's well, that's Lincoln Riley doing like a good job. And like maybe to a certain degree, I, I would agree. Certainly, I would agree to a certain degree. But it Lincoln Riley didn't mind control Alabama to have some sort of situation where you have Tua and Jalen Hurts, for example, on the roster at the same time, and there becomes such a controversy because the year before Jalen Hurts gets benched for Tua and Tua has this insane game that wins Alabama the national title snatching it away from Georgia and then you know like it's not as if Lincoln Riley made that happen the scenario kind of fell into his lap I mean after that it's now Jalen Hurts is leaving and Jalen Hurts is going to want to go to a team that is ready to win well Oklahoma was it was a playoff team prior of course that makes that is one of the team who also was in need of a quarterback. So it's like, of course, why wouldn't Oklahoma be at the top of his list with very little need to convince him of anything further, right? So um I I, I do shy away from giving Lincoln Riley too much credit for something like that, right? Um so to fo- to follow that up then, it, you have this Oklahoma program that has been consistently good for the past like decade or so, even though I'm obviously, I'm not a fan of the big 12. And I think that all of those big 12 teams, including Oklahoma are overrated. They are at least seeing results that they would probably be happy with, right? They're making the, they're making playoff appearances. They're winning their, their conference, things like that. And not to mention, they're going to be going to the sec soon. So they're actually going to the best conference in football, in college football, and he is going to run away from that to go to the Pac-12. So, I mean, I've I've talked to some people about this, and, you know, they've kind of suggested, well, you think about it like if he can bring USC back to its glory days and blah, 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 
And I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean, I, I get that right. USC is like this storied program and stuff like that. You know, they're like, well, you know, USC's got more titles than Oklahoma does. And it's like, no one gives a fuck about titles that USC won in like 1980 and 1950 and 1930. The same way no one gives a fuck about the titles that Oklahoma was winning in, in that like time frame either. No one fucking cares about 30, 40, 50 year old titles. People barely care about like 10 to 15 year old titles. You know, like, I mean, go talk to Miami fans who some of them are fucking hanging on to 20 year old titles and like and and see how that's going for them. You know, like, so I, I don't get this notion that like USC is somehow this good job just because at one point in history, USC won titles Um because it's not like. It's not like, oh, USC used to win titles and now they're constantly in the mix. <laughs> not even in the mix. And so it's like, oh, you can say you like went to rebuild this program. I would argue that taking an Oklahoma program that is obviously not good enough to play with the SEC based on, you know, previous history here with how things have gone, um, you know, in the playoffs and whatnot, that you're going in as a team that is not going to win right you are coming in as an underdog you're coming in as a program that needs to rebuild and well to build better at, at the very least right so uh so i i think that like some people want to say like that that's you know the story of going and making usc good again okay but if you're not good again in three years you're fired i, I mean just look at how sec has treated its coaches up to this point i i mean if you're not good again in like three years, you're you're going to be all of a sudden guy who's on the hot seat. And then how worth it is that $20 million, right? Because then you're fired. Then, okay, yeah, maybe like you're either going to get most of that money, if not all of that money still, and blah, blah. But then you're out of coaching, right? I, I mean, you're, you're out of coaching and like your best bet is now you're going to have to go through like the rehabilitation tour where you go on to be like, a fucking like quality control analyst on Alabama or something like that. Right. Or like, you're going to have to become like, you're going to have to do like the Hugh freeze, like, you know, head coach of like Liberty or something, something to that effect. Right. Do you actually want to even risk that giant step back? Because for Oklahoma at this point with like the roots that he's kind of set within that program, uh, I mean, A, it doesn't look like Oklahoma is at risk of being that bad. Even in, like, in the SEC, they're, like, probably a middle-of-the-pack team, right? Because there's still Vanderbilt, who they can beat. There's still South Carolina, who's beatable. There's still, I mean, Arkansas has been good this year. But Arkansas, I think that this is a product of, like, a, a team that's kind of come together. But I, I'm not sure that this is like a necessary lasting success. You're going to have Texas come in with you, who's also kind of been a disaster for a while now. Um, you, you know, what else? You you have Missouri, who's terrible. You have, I mean, now this Florida program that seems to be somewhat in shambles. Uh, I mean, there are teams that are beatable. I mean, you're not going to beat Georgia. You're not going to beat Alabama. Um, I think that you'd have even a hard time potentially really saying that Tennessee is a winnable, you know, team for Oklahoma. Um, I think that Kentucky would be difficult. 
and um and depending on how auburn kind of shakes out moving forward auburn's not ex- so you could end up like as a middle of the pack team coming in so uh y- you know there's it's not as if like you would come in and instantly you're on the hot seat right you would be given an opportunity to like make it work in the sec and I guess if you're afraid of that, but I just don't see how, like, the chances of that are really any worse than bringing USC back, considering how that's gone. I mean, because I, I don't even understand, like, people want to say, like, this California talent pool or whatever. And sure, like, there is, like, some, there is, like, a decent amount of talent that comes out of California. There's no reason, really, that USC is a better, like, school for them to go to compared to, Oregon, where, you know, okay, maybe if Mario Cristobal leaves, that could change some things. Um, but even for them to go to like Utah, UCLA, Cal, I, I mean, UCLA and Cal aren't even like that good of teams, but like there's not that much of a convincing reason to, to go to USC over those teams. And then, and then not to mention at this point, like th- these, Kids get recruited like nationwide. Like the the idea that like oh you know your team's in the hotbed of college college recruits gives you some sort of sizable advantage. I, I mean I disagree. Alabama is not in the hotbed of college recruits and yet gets all of the best recruits all the time. So what what the fuck is that? Georgia is in like a decent like is in a decent setting for college recruits, but still a lot of them are coming from out of state. And some of them pretty decently far away. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. A lot of these teams who get a lot of good recruits have like very good draft classes are getting players that are coming from all sorts of spots. So I, I just legitimately think that the the whole uh, concept of like being in a recruiting hotbed is like super overblown. I genuinely think that it, it does not it does not make nearly as much of a difference as um, as I think that it is implied. Uh, I I mean I think it's the same way that like you talk about like veteran experience like there's some value in it. I think that it is overvalued, um, and so I, I I just genuinely believe that that's like one of those things where it's like if you really think about it with like the way that travel works these days and the money that these programs have and frankly if you're like a five star recruit or even a four star recruit like probably generally speaking the most important thing on your mind is not I need to be close to home right it's I need to be somewhere where I'm going to get an opportunity to progress and potentially get an avenue towards the NFL or professional sports in general, right? Um, I, I mean, so so that's that's just how that that's how I think that a large majority of those players are thinking. I think that's how a large majority of the families of those players are thinking. So I, I just again, I just don't see the value in going to USC for Lincoln Riley at all, right? I, I mean. It's it, it just seems like an absurd idea to me. Like it, it honestly, I think it's stupid. I just think it's putting his career at risk for no reason. Like that's that's legitimately what I think it comes down to. Is it just feels like his career is at risk because at Oklahoma he was in a good spot. 
He was not at risk of getting fired anytime soon. He could easily get a nice extension, get some good money, you know, whatever, right? Okay, sure, you have to live in Oklahoma. Like, some people might want to say that that's a problem. Look it up. Lincoln Riley's from Lubbock fucking Texas. And he went to Texas Tech, which means he actually actively chose to stay in Lubbock, Texas to go to Texas Tech. And then has since chosen to be in Norman, Oklahoma for a large part of his career. So, I I mean... It's not as if, like, this guy's from fucking L.A. or some big city where, like, he want like, he just has some sort of desire to be in, like, that kind of an atmosphere. Like, you know, obviously, like, okay, sure, maybe he's, you know, he went to Texas Tech in part because he's from Lubbock and, like, that was just a good opportunity and all that and you're young and, like, things like that. But it was still a decision to stay in Lubbock, Texas, which is as rural as you're going to get. And then on top of that, like, then spend a good chunk of your young career in Norman, Oklahoma after that. Like, it seems like he's perfectly comfortable with, like, living in that region of the country. So, uh, I mean, I guess if he came out and was like, look, I just do not like living in Oklahoma. Okay, fine, I guess. Like, I I, I agree, right? You know, once, once money and success comes to a certain level, you really got to consider other things, right? Your like the overall comfort, your like your happiness at home and your family and and your job happiness, all these things. That's why it just to me the initial thought is uh, I'm not I'm just not following why going to USC makes sense for him. Now, um for Brian Kelly, I think that this this move to LSU makes more sense. Um and and frankly, I, it would have made more sense if, if Lincoln Riley had gone to LSU, I would have been like, that makes sense, right? You're going, you're going to the SEC either way. You, the LSU's a, like, debatably a better job than Oklahoma. I, I think that you could, I think you could make the argument that LSU's a better job. I'm, I don't, I don't necessarily want to say that that's a certainty, but I, I would say that it's arguable. There's no world in which USC is a better job than LSU. There's no world in which USC is a better job than Oklahoma. Just no, none. It's a laughable fucking suggestion to say that USC is as good of a job as either of those programs. Um, So. And for Brian Kelly, okay, Notre Dame is a good job, right? Notre Dame is a job that is like a destination, like, you could finish your career at Notre Dame, and certainly with his his record, um, he probably could have chosen to do that. Uh, I but I think the Notre Dame job is understandable because he has had fairly consistent success at Notre Dame, right? But he can't quite win it, and I think that there's the issue that because of Notre Dame's academic standards, that that obviously puts you at a disadvantage to a a team like LSU, right? Because certainly Notre Dame does have access to some of the best recruits, right? Like five-star recruits will look at Notre Dame, right? But because of academic standards, that's going to cut some of that, that recruiting class out. And so, so that's a legitimate disadvantage that as a, as a football coach, you got to look at and be like that, that legitimately impacts the, the possibility of whether or not I can actually win at all. Right. Because at this point, all, all Brian Kelly is not done is win a national title. He made it to the national title game 
against Alabama where you saw that discrepancy, you know, right? Alabama just destroyed them. Um, he's made it to a few college football playoffs where you've seen that discrepancy again, right? They just got smashed. Um, and so the, I think that this makes sense. Also, um, Brian Kelly has been at Notre Dame for what, 11, 12 years. Like it is understandable that after 11 to 12 years that you would potentially want to try and make a change in your career. Uh, Lincoln Riley has been head coach at, at Oklahoma for what, like four years, something like that. Uh, and sh- certainly, yeah, he's been, uh, he was coaching there before that, but, but still, I, I think like as far as in your current role as a head coach, uh, I mean, I would understand that after a certain while, and I and I would also understand the idea of not wanting to continue to live in South Bend, Indiana. To be honest, okay, like uh, South Bend, Indiana sucks, trash place, trash. I, I will say it. All right, terrible. Um, no one likes South Bend. There's not. It's so boring. Like there's nothing to do there. Like, yeah. So I, I mean, like basically the most desirable aspect of South Bend is that it's like an hour outside of Chicago. I mean, that's like, basically it's like the most it's got going for it. Um, so it, it's, yeah, to, to me, I, I just don't see it, um, as, as the same thing at all, because yeah, obviously, like I said, uh, he's been there a long enough time where it's sort of like that paid your dues thing. It's not like you're just sort of like, exactly it's not exactly like the oh i'm leaving because this is an upgrade type of thing as much as it's like i'm leaving because like i need like a different scenery you know like i need something and and you know yeah okay again you can make the argument that notre dame and lsu are fairly equivalent jobs except for the fact that obviously lsu is going to give you a better opportunity to get better recruits because of the academic standards issue um, not to mention you're in the SEC, so I think that that probably gives you a slight increase in, in the ability to get recruits because um, there is like that that prestige of of the conference that is helpful for the the recruiting aspect, right? And you have the the very recent national title out of LSU, and you have an LSU team that's kind of been. I mean, obviously this year was pretty disastrous. And last year wasn't great, but like a team that's competitive. So, you know, like it's not, again, it's not quite USC levels of bad where USC can't even do anything in the Pac-12 where, yeah, Oregon's good, Utah's good, and then like Oregon State's okay. Like Oregon State's fine, I guess. Washington's obviously been bad this year. Washington State has really fallen off since uh, Mike Leach left. Uh, I mean, you know, so you have a Pac-12 that basically has two com- good teams, right? And like, and if you can't make yourself shine amongst that, then then it's pretty hard to, you know, the, it's hard to say that that's like a competitive team. LSU is at least still fairly competitive within the SEC. So I I I understand the Brian Riley, um, Brian Riley, Brian Kelly move a lot a lot more than the Lincoln Riley move. Um, I think let's see what else. Uh, I think what LeBron James had a false positive. I think that was officially determined to yesterday. He had tested positive, was going to be out and whatnot, which I, I hadn't commented on, but 
but like what a fucking joke by the way that lebron james punches some dude in the face and then the dude he punched in the face gets suspended more than lebron james I mean, I get, like, it's a player-driven league and all that stuff, and, like, LeBron James is the moneymaker, but that's, uh, that, that was a bit of an absurdity to me, the, the concept that, it, like, LeBron, uh, like, pretty clearly punches this dude in the eye, um, and, and then, like, I, I love, too, how, like, sort of, like, you know, the, um, the 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 LeBron like cock gobbling sort of contingent um are like oh well he immediately tried to defuse the situation after he did it like he clearly was like whoa my bad whatever like okay you know what if if that's how you see it let let's meet up and I'm going to punch you in the face and but I'll immediately be like whoa that was you know my bad let's see how you react you know like yeah okay yeah i like what an absurd concept the idea of like oh he punched me in the face but he was like he tried to defuse it afterwards so it's all good like you're a fucking idiot like all right like you are so unbelievably fucking delusional if you're like if your sort of retort after that is well he tried to defuse it immediately after punching him in the face is such a ridiculous concept um, so, uh, anyways, yeah, I mean, it seems like LeBron's been on some sort of tear lately, because he's, like, punching dudes in the face, he's getting ejected for, or suspended or whatever for, like, some profanity thing, he is getting some people fucking, like, kicked out of the game because he didn't like what they were saying or something, um, and then, and then... And then he tests positive for COVID, but it looks like that was a false positive. I mean, obviously, right? We we know this like about how the the, the league treats LeBron, anyways, because he should have been in health and safety protocols, whatever last year, and they just like sort of were like, oh no, he doesn't have to. Um, so it's like oh, okay, yeah. So I, I guess that goes to show you how much the league actually is 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 taking things as serious, like, compare, you know, it's like, I just don't even see, like, because in my opinion, like, I don't think you need to, um, I, I don't think that you need to go through, like, all of these, these, th I mean, I guess, I guess you probably do as a league because, like, these health and safety protocols, because you just cannot have an outbreak because it just totally fucks your, your, like, next string of games, and you, like, so you just can't really, like, have that. So I guess, like, it does make sense why you would want, like, cause not like a fucking basketball player can work from home or something, right? Like, um, so I, I mean, I guess, like, you do need that as, as the NBA and, and NFL and whatnot. I don't know if all of their protocols are reasonable. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers has kind of made that clear in the NFL portion. Like, he's pointed out some things where it's like, what are we, like, what's the actual value we're getting out of these protocols? Because people want to say, like, all these protocols are based in science. And some are and a lot aren't. Like, okay, so I, I don't understand why it is that there's not allowed to be any level of nuance on these kinds of conversations. As if, like, somehow, like, you know, it, it like, a player that's tested every day is a legitimate risk of spreading covid that they need to wear a mask that like has a somewhat dubious level of 
um, of effectiveness in a room full of vaccinated people, like that kind of stuff, right? Like that's that it's obviously not really based in any sort of like there's not any sort of study that is verified that like that actually leads to some sort of significant decrease in risk, right? Or even a really a marginal decrease in risk. Because all of the other aspects of, of what, what I just described are what's mitigating everything. So it's just like, it doesn't, yeah, you know, like that kind of stuff doesn't really make any sense. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, obviously, as I've lamented for a long time, and, and, and for those who, who know me well know this, is that I, I've lamented the fact that people only care about science when science is on their side. So, um, you know, and, and, and that science, like also that science isn't a religion and, and somehow that's got, been lost lately. So, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, I, I think so. But anyways, right. So LeBron, I, I believe has been confirmed as a false positive. Uh, so he is back. I'm trying to see what, what other sports news was there? Well, I mean, I guess in, it's like sort of like, um, uh, somewhat in sports news, right. Is that you have the, uh, world chess championship between, uh, Nepo and Magnus Carlsen, which as we speak is in game six and, um, certainly looks like it may, well, this is actually a pretty decent fucking look for white on, uh, for Magnus Carlsen, but well, I, I mean, I, I think that there's a, like, at least a decent likelihood of a draw here. So they, there was a, uh, there's a, there is a five, uh, five game draw thus far within the 14 game series of the World Chess Championship. Um, this, this match, uh, if you follow Hikaru Nakamura, who does excellent, uh, first of all, you should follow him on Twitch if you like chess because he's great. Um, he's a very informative, he's an excellent player, he's very entertaining, he makes chess very fun, um, but he's been, uh, live, live, you know, live streaming these, uh, these games for the World Chess Championship, um, and, you know, he, he had pointed out, based on how the kind of opening sequence went in this game, that this game was Magnus's best shot at winning, uh, thus far, and so, if Magnus cannot get out of this game with a win, there's a strong likelihood that we just draw all the way through 14 games, in which case we go into whatever, uh, I think, Blitz or Bullet. But, um, so, so that's something that's, that's going on right now. I'm trying to think. I feel like there was, there was something else that had kind of occurred of late. Um, but, I, I can't recall now, right? You know, it's like, um, but I, I mean, you, okay. So you did have, you had a lot of contracts kind of go around in the, in the, uh, MLB and now the MLB is into a lockout. Um, a really good resource on that information is, uh, actually David Sampson, who has a, uh, podcast called nothing personal with David Sampson. He was the former president, for those of you who don't know who he is, former president of the Marlins prior to them being recently purchased by the Jeter Sherman group. Um, and he gives like a very good insight on, uh, like kind of gives you sort of like the mask revealed insight on, um, 
how sports and especially baseball are run. You know, like he doesn't, he does not hold, he most certainly does not hold back in terms of, um, you know, telling you the things that are sort of like the open secrets, you know, like thing, things that you think about where you're like, they have to be doing this on purpose, but they just want, don't want to say it because it's like a bad look. Like he is willing to tell you like when those things are true and, and, and whatnot. And so uh, I think that that is, um, the, he, he, I know went on the Dan Lebetard show and gave a little bit of a, a taste and like explanation on what's going on with the lockout and what to expect. And I know that on his podcast, he's going to give a, uh, even more in-depth talk about that. Um, from what he, what I've heard thus far, I mean, basically his, his thoughts were, is that this is all according to plan. Uh, the MLB, all these teams, especially bad teams like the Mets and the lion or lions, uh, the tigers, we're, we're going to give out these big contracts so that when it comes to negotiations, th- that you can't really, as the players union, look at, say, look at these tanking teams who aren't putting together like winning rosters and aren't, pu- you know, putting out money and all this kind of stuff. And so that, you know, you can say, look, the, the players are getting plenty of money. There's no need to up like the, the profit sharing or, or what have the revenue sharing or what have you. So, um, That'll be interesting to see. I think on both sides too, that based on this, the previous COVID year with like the, whatever it was, 60 game season and the success that was in terms of, you know, the league gets its TV money, players play less games, they get a full year served on their contracts. Uh, you have a World Series champion, all those things. Um, so basically that the fact that baseball was successful in a deeply protracted season, I think both sides are perfectly happy with the lockout sort of uh, cutting into this season. So um, I, I think that there, there's uh, that kind of means that we might, you know, kind of see things kind of weighed off for a little bit here. <coughs> um, oh, I mean, I guess the other, yeah, I, obviously, I guess the other big news, right, is that uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh finally kind of shook the monkey off of his back. Um, he was able to <clears throat> finally beat Ohio State. And so that that was, first of all, an excellent game. Uh, y- you know, that, that, that game was awesome. And I loved the way that Michigan played it, where, like, they were just like, we're just going to run the ball at you, and I don't fucking care if you know it because you're not going to be able to stop us. That Michigan offensive line just obliterated uh, Ohio State. I mean, they took the entire state of Ohio and just bent them right over the barrel and showed them all 50 states, starting with Michigan. That was an absolute domination that occurred on from from the offensive line of Michigan. Um and and so they just ran it right down their throats. I mean, they ran it for like whatever three hundred total yards with like five rushing touchdowns. And uh, I mean, it, it was an impressive display of just running the football. And Michigan's defense did enough to stop a very potent uh, Ohio State offense. I think that one of the storylines that did not get enough um, credit 
in from that game was the fact that Michigan's defense was able to do that to Ohio State's offense because you look at it and you say, well, they scored 28 points still. Yeah, but that's an Ohio State offense that like whatever scored like 50 on Michigan State like the week before. I, I mean, this is a Michigan or an Ohio State offense that is like prone to scoring like six to, you know, six touchdowns a game easily. Right. I mean, because they have some of the best wide receiver talent in the country. CJ Stroud is an excellent quarterback. They have a great running game. Like they, they have like the offensive mind in, in Jason Day that, uh, Jason Day, Ryan Day. And so they like that is a great Ohio State offense. Um, and so to, for the Michigan defense to have been able to hold them to what they did, where, I mean, Ohio State basically had no big plays, right? I mean, <clears throat> their first touchdown was a really, really impressive fucking catch um, by, uh, which one was that, Wilson or something? I think it was, Ced- what is it, Cedric Wilson or something like that? Um, that Just an unbelievably impressive contested catch. Um, and then the other guy with two last names who I can't think of his name, but he obviously had a great game for Ohio state. I mean, he was catching like everything like, um, but you know, so like the biggest plays that Ohio state had were just plays where the receivers just made unbelievable catches, but Ohio state's like MO is like, eventually they just catch you where they get behind your secondary and they just score like 60 yard touchdown, like untouched. Right. I I mean, that's just those receivers are just so good and they're so capable of that kind of stuff that that's generally what you might see out of the Ohio state offense. And, um, Michigan made sure that that did not happen, right? There was none of the receivers getting behind the secondary, none of that kind of stuff. So uh, I think that that was to huge credit. And now, I mean, Michigan's got to get it done against Iowa and they should because Iowa's offense is dreadful. So I don't know how Iowa's offense is going to generate anything against that Michigan defense. And I think that that Michigan offense can, can certainly make, you know, make work out of, uh, out of that Iowa defense. And that is going to be the surefire entrance for Michigan into the college football playoff. And like I said, the one thing that I wanted to point out was the way that Michigan was able to beat Ohio State makes me think that depending on how things draw out, there's a very real chance that Michigan could end up winning the national title. And I know that that is an absurd statement, right? I I know how ridiculous that sounds because I want to be clear here. I still think Georgia's going to win, and I think – it's probably not going to be close. Okay. I, I think that Georgia is still far and away the favorite. But um, I think Michigan might actually have the next best chance because I think I think Alabama has too many problems on offense and too many problems on defense that Alabama can't match up with Georgia, right? I don't think, I mean, we saw how poor Alabama's offense was against Auburn. And so I, I just don't see a world in which Alabama's offense can really do anything to Georgia. And I mean, obviously we'll, we'll find out, um, tomorrow, um, and, and see if that actually ends up being true. But I, I genuinely just don't see how Alabama generates enough offense against Georgia. 
Um, but what Georgia's weak Georgia's weakness is their offense, right? So <clears throat> if you have a team that has good enough defense <clears throat> that you can just stop Georgia's offense and keep the game low scoring, then all you need is just like <clears throat> a couple good fortune plays to go your way offensively, right? You get a you get one or two drives where you can score some points. Um Perhaps if your defense makes some turnovers that puts you in plus territory, that kind of stuff, then all of a sudden you can beat Georgia, right? That I mean, that's basically the only possibility because Georgia's offense is not very good. Um, and you, I mean, I know you see these scores that that Georgia's putting up, you know, like forty points a year and put and all that, but that is in large part because of how good Georgia's defense is, right? It it is simply a matter of Georgia's defense just makes you punt like three and out over and over until Georgia's offense has been on the field for like an hour and they're just eventually going to score points at that rate, right? You just can't, like your defense can't hold up forever. Um, They certainly can't hold up for that long of a time period. I mean, it's a huge ask to ever sort of um, suggest, right? So um, I, I think that that's, that's just one of those things where, um, you, you know, I, I think that because of the way that Michigan matches up, where their defense might be good enough to to stop Georgia's offense because they were good enough to really throttle um, Ohio State's offense. And Ohio State's offense is leagues better than Georgia's offense. Um, that there is a there is a world in which things can kind of bounce right for them. Um, Cincinnati, uh, I think is the wild card in all of this because Cincinnati's offense seems to be very good. Um, and, uh, what's it like Kyle Ritter, some, or something Ritter. What is it? I, I forget his first name, but Ritter, um, uh, is, is, seems to be an awesome quarterback. I, I like Cincinnati's story. I like the way that they're playing. I think that they obviously are a top, like they deserve to be a top four team, whether or not they are a top four team. I I'm not, I'm not prepared to say, I mean, obviously they did beat Notre Dame. Um, but I, I, I'm still not convinced of how good Notre Dame is. I know that Notre Dame's only losses Cincinnati. Right. And so you can say, look at Notre Dame. They just keep winning games and blah, blah, blah. But this is one of those committee things where like, for some reason we just, we just want to suck the dick of uh, of Notre Dame for like no apparent reason, right? It's just sort of like this <clears throat> this matter of like Notre Dame gets all of the benefit of the doubt for like no reason. So I, you know, it's hard to say. I I mean, but I do think that Cincinnati, without a doubt, is um, deserving of being ranked a top four team, right? So um, I, I I think that that is I I think that that is a certainty. So um, we will see, but, and so Cincinnati, you know, it depends on how these rankings kind of shake out, right? Because I I think, um, like, how did they rank it? Was it Cincinnati two and Michigan three or something like that? Let's see, college football rankings. Um, That's the AP. Is that the committee, committee rankings? Let's see. College football committee rankings. I'm not sure if it was, let's see, college rankings, college football playoff. Um, 
Okay, so Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Cincinnati. Okay, right. So um, Michigan, Ala- so this is the thing, though, right? Because uh, obviously, under these circumstances, we would see um, Michigan, Alabama play each other and Georgia and Cincinnati play each other. However, um, this is not going to happen, right? Because we have these uh, conference games. And so uh, under the assumption that Michigan wins, then obviously they're in. Um, let's assume Georgia wins. So Alabama, and then of course, let's assume Cincinnati wins. Now they do have a a game against Houston. That is not a bad Houston team. So we will see, because that is a bit of, that's a wild card that I don't think people are prepared to, um, to see happen. But anyways, okay. So let's, let's assume Georgia beats Alabama, Michigan beats Iowa, Cincinnati beats Houston. So if Georgia beats Alabama, Alabama has to fall to four, right? I mean, because they go to eleven and two. Cincinnati goes to thirteen and thirteen and zero. Um, so Michigan would stay at two. Georgia stays at one. Okay, so now you have Michigan, Cincinnati play in the first round. You have Georgia, Alabama play in the first round. I just, I simply don't see how you can like. I I know that if I, this would be interesting because this would tell you everything about how the college football committee ranks um, based on dollars or based on on watchability versus based on on actual um performance because if Georgia were to beat Alabama um and I think honestly I think even if Georgia was to beat Alabama and it was close I don't see how you can keep Alabama 3 Cincinnati 4 under that condition I I don't I I, I really don't um so <clears throat> I I but the only reason that the committee would do that is so that the first game of the college football playoff isn't immediately a rematch of the SEC championship, right? Because you would not want it to be that it would just end up being Georgia-Bama in the college football playoff semis. Um, but that is how it should go. So that's that's an interesting uh, thing there. So, okay. So, and, and this is why I'm saying that I think Michigan has a shot because – I think that if if that happens, right, Georgia wins, Michigan wins, Cincinnati wins. Okay, so then it goes Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, Alabama for your top four. So then you have Georgia, Alabama in the in the semis, where seeming you assume Georgia can win that game again. Okay, now you have Michigan, Cincinnati. Now, uh, obviously, I think out of the top out of the top four teams, or if you're Michigan and you're looking at the other three teams in the college football playoff. Who do you want to play the most? Probably Cincinnati, right? That's not to say that Cincinnati, like, okay, but this is, the, right? Because we don't know exactly how good Cincinnati is. Um, and so Alab- Georgia, you know how good they are. And Alabama, there is the uh, prestige of the Alabama program and the Nick Saban factor that even if Alabama isn't as actually as good as we think they are, they're still a team you'd rather not play, right? So ultimately... Y- if you're Michigan, you're looking at it and saying, my best chance is if I play the first game against Cincinnati. Okay, right? So now that scenario is very likely. So now we have Michigan-Cincinnati. If Michigan can end up beating Cincinnati, which I think is entirely possible, I, I think that Michigan's defense may be able to give Cincinnati enough problems, and I think Michigan's offense is good enough to beat Cincinnati's defense, especially the way that that Michigan offensive line played, because one of the biggest differences when you get to these, when you would start to look at the margins of these programs, um, is 
what is your offensive and defensive line talent actually look like? This is one of the things is why the SEC consistently is better than other other conferences. People don't look at it, right? So people look at um, the SEC and they think, oh, well, they just get all the talent. They get all the defensive talent, like, because they think of like defensive secondaries. They think of um, running backs. They think of wide receivers. They think of tight ends. They think of all of these positions. But the most important positions are the offensive and defensive lines, and especially the offensive line. Especially the offensive line. Because what makes Alabama so good and what has made Georgia so good for so many years is that. Um, I mean, cause obviously I know that Georgia has not been like playoff caliber good, but Georgia has been a very good team for a long time, even under Mark Richt, right? And, and part of that is because they have fucking steamrollers for offensive linemen. And so I, I mean, you just look at it, right? This is why Alabama can continue to win with a subpar quarterback, right? Alabama continues to win with, I, I mean, obviously you had Jalen Hurts and Tua who were both way better quarterbacks than Alabama had previously had. Um, but why Alabama could win with quarterbacks who were not even considered to be in the same class as their opponents is because Alabama didn't need a good quarterback because they had a great offensive line, which meant they could run the ball at will and that even a bad quarterback with all the time in the world and good wide receiver talent is going to be just fine, right? Um, and so that is why though that is the big difference maker and what we saw out of that Michigan offensive line against a Ohio State defense who has like five and four star recruits all across that defensive line was that Michigan has an offensive line that can fucking roll so Michigan's offensive line against Cincinnati's defensive line is going to be a very important um factor and that is why i think that Michigan has a very good chance of beating a team like Cincinnati and then now Michigan's in into the fucking playoff or into the championship, and that is all they need, right? Because what's going to be interesting, right, is I do not, I do not believe that Michigan's offensive line can bully Georgia's defensive line. I think Jordan Davis is just one of the. I mean, he should be a Heisman candidate. Um, he is the the most disruptive player on the planet earth right now. I mean, this man is unbelievable. So, and, and I, I forget the other names, but there's a couple other names on Georgia's defensive line that are just tremendous. I I mean, so I do not think that Michigan can have that same type of effect on Georgia, which is why I still think that Georgia is likely to win. But if Michigan gets a couple plays here and there to just go their way, right? I mean, because look, I, I mean, Tennessee does have actually some pretty good offensive talent and does have some good players uh, and does have like a overall pretty good offense. But and so Tennessee was able to score 17 points on Georgia. The problem is that Georgia was able to just lean into Tennessee hard enough that eventually Tennessee just breaks and and Georgia got away, just ran that game right through. Okay, but if you can be. If you can get to 17 points and you, and because Tennessee's defense is just not very good, but Michigan's defense, if they're good enough to hold that, that Georgia offense, if Michigan can even get to 14 or 17 points, there's a very real world in which they could win the national title at that. So that, that's why I think that there's actually of all the teams who has the best chance to win against Georgia, it's probably Michigan. Um, now watch. 
Michigan might just go ahead and fucking lose to Iowa because of random Big Ten football and and just Michigan is cursed as a as a college. But uh, I'm just saying if if this is the scenario that plays out, that's the that's I'm telling you, that's the best chance for somebody to beat Georgia, because I think otherwise Georgia runs away with this. Right. Like, let's say Michigan loses to Iowa um, and Georgia beats Bama, Cincinnati wins. So you probably take and let's say Oklahoma State wins. So Oklahoma State probably comes in, replaces Michigan um, under those circumstances. I think then, yeah, you would probably have Cincinnati jumps to two. Then it's Alabama. Then it's Oklahoma State. Or maybe, maybe probably should be uh, Oklahoma State, Alabama. Then I, I think you're still in a situation, right? Georgia beats Bama. Um, and then Oklahoma State, Cincinnati. That would obviously be a very interesting game. I think that Cincinnati would win that. So then you have Georgia, Cincinnati. And I just don't think that Cincinnati ha- actually has the offensive firepower to stand up to Georgia's defense. And, and I don't think that Cincinnati has enough defense to, to keep Georgia's offense from scoring a few points. And, and so ultimately, I think that that's just, that's just a, a, a very easy scenario for Georgia. Um, so th- that's what I'm just, I'm just saying. I know this is a fucking bizarre, bizarre stance, but I'm just telling you, I, I, I legitimately think that given the current layout of, of who the top four teams are and how things match up, that if there is going to be a team that beats Georgia in the national title this year, which I'm, I think it's Georgia that wins it, but I'm telling you the team that has the best shot to win it, if it's not Georgia is Michigan. I I'm throwing it out there. I think Michigan is the next best possibility. I think that just the way that teams match up, I think the way that these games could match up in terms of the final rankings, that I think Michigan's actually got the best chance to beat Georgia. All right. And I think with that, we are going to uh, call this episode. Um, I know I didn't get to any of like uh, my, my bets for this week. Um, I'll tell you, I like the under in the Michigan uh, in Iowa game. I like the under in the Georgia Alabama game. I like Georgia spread and I'm gonna take the Michigan spread, but I think that that might be that might be uh, a little too juicy, to be honest. But you know, that that's what I'm thinking. Those are that's what I'm gonna tell you for now. So, peace out.